listening to List It, the show where me and a guest rank and list things in pop culture. And I have a very, very special show uh, today. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you why this is just a, such a special show. But first off, I want to introduce my guest. She is an author and a writer. Uh, she's written books including Jesus Feminist, Out of Sorts, Evolving Faith, Miracles and Other Reasonable Things, and her latest uh, collaboration is a book that's an incredible book called A A Rhythm of Prayer, A Collections of Meditations for Renewal. It is available everywhere now. You've probably also seen her work in the Washington Post, the Huffington Post, the Atlantic, the Christian Post, Christianity Today, the National Post, and a ton of others. My guest today is Sarah Bessie. Sarah, welcome to List It. I am so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy you're here too. We were we were just talking before we you know hit the record button. A little, uh, little peek behind the curtain, and I was telling you that you know a lot of the the episodes I've done up to now, not all of them, a lot of them have been kind of pop culture centric, where we're breaking down songs or movies or things like that. But a few weeks ago, I had our mutual friend uh, Tish Oxenrider on, and we talked about sort of daily habits that you can incorporate into your life that will really kind of improve your life. And I was like, I, yeah, I'll give it a shot. You know, it's not kind of th- the normal topic that we do on the show and ended up being really popular. It's one of those popular episodes I've done in, in months. And so uh, when, when we saw your book coming out, A Rhythm of Prayer, that, that you edited and there's a lot of interesting kind of voices that are included in this book, I thought, man, what a cool opportunity to talk through some of your favorite prayer practices since this has really kind of been your world for, I, I would assume, the last year, about a year and a half as you're putting this book together. Tell me a little bit about why you wanted to tackle the idea of prayer, especially like prayer practices. Mm. Tell, tell me a little bit about what was the impetus for that. Sure. Um, you know, I had probably been thinking about writing a little bit more about prayer for a couple of years, but couldn't really find a way through to do it that didn't feel really prescriptive or formulaic um, in a lot of ways. And a lot of the spaces where I have opportunities to lead, we're talking with people who have um, been on some sort of spiritual journey where they have felt this sense of disorientation. Um, you know, mm-hmm. you had maybe one particular box you were given for God, and after a while, it starts to feel very constrictive, and there can be this sense of um, disillusionment or um, a sense of of, um, of journey or change or shift. And so, a lot of times when you go going through something like that, and you're reevaluating what you think about faith or uh, prayer, for instance, you can feel like, well, if I don't do it the way I used to do it, then I guess that means that's over. And I wanted to be able to explore what does it look like on the other side of a sea change in your Mm. faith? What does it look like on the other side to say, I still still get to pray or um, to reimagine prayer? And because that is such an intensely personal and um, unique and varied, you know, answer, the idea yeah. of having this collaborative um, approach to it really appealed to me because then you have a chance to look at all the rhythms that you kind of have in prayer, whether it's rage or grief or liturgy or joy or gratitude, um, you know, centering prayer, silence, all the ways that people have found a new pathway or even an ancient pathway uh, towards the experience of prayer. And I found that idea really appealing to me. 
Well, it, it, it is. I feel like it's such an interesting topic, too. And I think listeners will really like it because the listener base is pretty diverse with, with kind of their own backgrounds, uh, you know, kind of different uh, sort of streams of Christianity. Uh, and not even everyone, you know, th- I, this show kind of has a pretty diverse audience. I don't know if uh, everyone who listens would consider themselves a, a you know, a quote unquote Christian. Um, but I do feel like prayer is an idea that really kind of transcends a lot of different belief systems and value systems. But the way we think about prayer is often dictated by how we were sort of raised and or like what our sort of uh, like... Uh, perceptions are of what prayer should look like. You know, we, we all kind of have the 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 pop culture picture of someone kneeling beside their bed <laughs> with their hands folded at night. You know, I grew up in a very like evangelical type of tradition where, you know, prayer was just like, hey, you're just chit-chatting with God, you know? And it, there wasn't a, 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 a high degree of like reverence with it. And, you know, and I was also kind of never really given any sort of education on the liturgy or, uh, you know, even kind of other prayer traditions within sort of the Christian faith. Like, you know, I, I thought, man, praying the rosary, that sounds weird, but only because I didn't understand what what was uh, emblematic of. And so when you mm-hmm. kind of, why don't you... Before we jump into the list, and we're going to break down some of our favorite prayer practices, what what is your kind of background with prayer, and how has your view on it sort of evolved to the point where you are now? Uh, sure, I don't think that you're alone there in in everything you were just saying. That's a, a very common um, experience for a lot of people who came of of age in some form of evangelicalism. For me, um, I actually came up or my very original uh, faith tradition was in the charismatic church, which is kind of adjacent to the Pentecostal church. Um, And it was very embedded in the, you know, late, you know, I would say mid to late eighties in um, like prosperity gospel stuff. So listen, there was a lot of naming and there was a lot of claiming. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm familiar. Yeah. Just bless it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, dude. Okay, I, I, I had witnessed, and let's just, you know, I had witnessed like such a degree of like naming and claiming in this, like, you know, I had, I, I had witnessed pastors that I was like watching, you know, during the middle of the sermon, like stop the sermon, and be like. Yes, God. Okay, God. I'll say that right now. You know, in, in this kind yes. of like very like showy type of way. And I'm like, look, I'm not, who knows? You know what I mean? Like, I'm not, I'm not a theologian. I'm not discounting anything. But I also know like that doesn't seem to kind of line up when I look back at scripture or, or also kind of look at the history of, of the church tradition. That doesn't really seem to be what prayer is. So, you know, you kind of grew up with that name it, claim it. Yeah. Charismatic evangelicalism. When did things start to shift and you kind of expanded your understanding of what prayer could be? Yeah, I mean, I think that there was also even this nar- this really um strong narrative of victory that was with that had to run through prayers. And a lot of times it was very mm. declarative. It was this sense of um of declaring what you wanted or what um what you believed even God's heart was, right? Because I yeah. I'm not so cynical yet that I don't think that a lot of people had a, a oftentimes very sincere motives. Yeah. Um, but like a lot of people, I think, who came up in these um faith traditions, really if if you find yourself in that company of people who have unanswered prayers or who have experienced sorrow or grief or loss, you don't fit the tidy narrative anymore. Mm -hmm. And so, that was kind of the birthplace for me of being like, wait a minute, if God is only here 
what about for all of us who are brokenhearted? What about for yeah. all of us who have experienced loss or, um, or you know, lived longer than a hot second, right? <laughs> can begin yeah. to yeah. look around, you know, injustice in the world, all the ways that our hearts begin to kind of crack open to, um, to the reality. I think that's that's really thumping along with, um, oftentimes what we're we're hoping for. And so that was, I think, the the genesis point for me. I lost prayer for a really long time, to be honest, because yeah. I couldn't pray in the overcomer victory you know, Bible versey kind of way that I had been taught, I thought that meant that I didn't get to pray anymore. And for other people, again, like you said, it might be different depending on your, um, you know, cultural background and your religious tradition or lack thereof. But I think a lot of us come to a threshold that says this, this isn't it anymore, or this, I've, I can't part the weeds of my tradition to even begin to see God in this anymore. Yeah. And so, that experience of losing prayer um, ended up being one of the greatest gifts because I often think we have to be as committed to unloaning, uh, pardon me, unlearning the broken and unredemptive and uh, incomplete, you know, vision that maybe we have of God in order to have space to begin to reimagine and um, be reintroduced or be even come, even become curious or filled with wonder about um, about God. And so, for me, that opened me up to saying, okay, I almost kind of skidded into understanding prayer in a different way because I ended up turning to a tradition that was super different than my own in terms of Anglicanism, which was my introduction to liturgy, to the church calendar, to uh, practices and observances and feasts and fasts and this rhythm of a year that I had just never even understood. And then that began to open me up to all these other different ways that people pray. And that began to open me up to the realization that, you know, even the Bible is way more honest about prayer than oftentimes we are, right? You look at some yeah. of the conversations that people are having with God in, in Scripture, and you're just like, are we allowed to talk to God like that? <laughs> and yeah. it turns out you can. And so, that I think was kind of the origin point for me of saying, okay, I lost prayer in this particular way, was able to relearn both new new to me and ancient paths towards prayer, um, and then begin to even reclaim some things from my tradition and yeah. say, okay, you know what, I thought I maybe left turn my back on all of it, but instead, here's these other things that I actually really love. You know, I love to yeah. pray for people. I love to lay hands on people. I love to, um, you know, even do prayer cloths, like a little Pentecostal. Like, there's just a lot of things about that tradition that I've ended up kind of reclaiming, even though I am approaching it in such a different posture than I maybe yeah. would have, you know, 25, 30 years ago. Yeah. Well, uh, Sarah, I'm so excited to kind of hear some of your insights from from the book and some of the things that you've incorporated into your own life. Um, so let's go ahead and jump into our list. I'll, I'll start with kind of one of, and again, mine are you, you're going to hear and be like, ah, well, these aren't these aren't quite as sophisticated no, as some I of the never no. would. <laughs> <laughs> but but That's I do garbage. feel like no no, but but I also feel like it is such you know it is is such a powerful thing that kind of transcends uh, you know faith traditions, but also faith in general that uh that's why it's such a cool thing to talk about um so uh the, my, the, my first one is what i've kind of labeled praying while working with my hands and here's what mm -hmm. i mean by that like i'm someone who sits in front of a computer all day almost every day i've said most of my adult life you know what I mean? if i in a vac if i were to look back in a vacuum a lot of it is sitting in front of a computer or sitting behind a microphone or writing or doing things where my mind is always occupied you know mm -hmm. and that is sort of a 
very, very modern uh, condition where even if even, you know, right after the, you know, kind of post-industrial revolution, you know, people were working in with technology, but a lot of times it wasn't technology that directly engaged their mind 24-7. You know, you were kind of given these tasks, you know, when it was like an agrarian society, you were always kind of farming and and doing things. And your mind, you, even though your hands may be busy, your mind could be occupied doing other things. And, you know, spending so much time just in front of, computers and thinking, you know, I've kind of realized the value in, you know, doing something that involves working with your hands, like a hobby or, you know, even like a. sometimes I grew up playing basketball. So sometimes just like shooting hoops or something. Yeah. It's like a great way to kind of keep my, my hands and my body occupied so that my mind isn't distracted. And I had read years ago a book that was really impactful for me. It was called The Practice of the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. Who, yeah, a, a, you know, this, you know, 17th century friar who, you know, has this sort of like radical conversion experience and joins this, uh, you know, monastic order, but he's not the most sort of like skilled friar at the order, which, uh, you know, I feel like friars are pretty nice dudes by, uh, by default. You can have to be a nice guy if you committed yourself. So at first they kind of put him, uh, in, in kitchen duty and he was doing dishes and, uh, you know, but eventually he kind of couldn't be on his feet that long. So they had him be the sandal repair person for the order. So not the most glamorous thing. But he had a lot of time on his mind. He wasn't, you know, do he wasn't scrolling long kind of <laughs> scribes and, and dictating things. And at the end of his life, they found his writings. And he had found a way to, in his in his words, practice the presence of God in everything that he did. And so when it was sandal making time, he would use that for as sort of this like communion. And I thought this all of his writings in his book was such a beautiful idea that if you just because your hands are busy doesn't mean that your mind can't be kind of in another place. It, it was a really impactful book. Have you read uh, Practicing the, the Practice of the Presence of God? I have, and I absolutely love it. I actually have that same one on my list uh, because I, I call it embodied prayer. Okay. Like that you are, because um, that's a, a big one for me. I knit. That's one of my like. Okay grandmotherly hobbies <laughs> yeah <laughs> hey knit, knitting's made a comeback knitting's like knitting hip now. a radical feminist act and so yeah. i reclaimed knitting um probably about 15 years ago no maybe 14 years ago um when my uh, i was having babies and i found that same rhythm that same place that you're mm. talking about where so much of our life um is requires everything and all of our attention and being able to have this thing that almost is like I've heard from people who practice yoga uh, my husband does a lot of building and he he talks about like even drywalling having the same effect for him yeah where yeah. he um and and you kind of hit this thing of like your hands are busy and your mind is just engaged enough that you can't be distracted by the things that are going on out here you know you can't be you know um you know having the argument in your head with the person you know at work or whatever else you're you're enough focused but there's enough space that you kind of almost yeah. can hit this space of like meditation or calmness or prayer that feels very um embodied and like even like brother lawrence would say like that that presence of god that's there and there's this sense of meditative rest almost to it so yeah 100 percent. 
Yeah, and and the great thing is like if I, you know, when I kind of grew up the, the in, in the faith tradition, it's like, did you have your quiet time? Did you have your diva? <laughs> and it's like, dude, I suck at quiet time. Like I am <laughs> just a busy person. Like it's hard for me to like just be a quiet in a room, much less be quiet in a room and thinking about stuff, and much less thinking about stuff involving like God. Like, oh man, that's really hard. But there is what? Where did where did Brother Lawrence's the idea of embodiment come from? Like, what do you know why he? Chose sort of that term to explain that idea of sort of almost like prayer multitasking? Yeah, I don't, I don't know if he, if he used that term. It was just one that I kind of uh, grabbed onto actually from um, one of the people who was in a rhythm of prayer, whose name is uh, Kelly Nekondeha. She talked about a body prayer. So I think I was just more trying to sum up, you know, where that was. But I think that because so much of Brother Lawrence's um, life was tasks that from the outside maybe looked very ordinary and menial. And I remember having a real sense of revelation about that when I was um, raising kids, a number of, uh, you know, when our kids were really little, especially there is an unrelentingness (laughs) to looking after small children that I loved and I love being a mom, but there was this sense of like, I can't do the, you know, quiet time thing, like what you were talking about. Like, you know, listen, you know, if you have tiny children underfoot or you have a busy career, usually both at the same time, you find that those old, you know, paradigms maybe don't fit anymore. And so, listen, you got to start finding God in your laundry pile. You got to start being able to find God while you are, you know, working around your house or you are doing the things that you need to do, whether you're repairing sandals like Brother Lawrence or, you know, you are, you know, making snacks 1600 times a day. These are the places where you can encounter God and, and have a sense of the presence of God, not only you know, directly with God or in the work that you're doing, but even in the people that you're serving or that you, the ways that you're caring for them. Um, I think there's a, a real sense of prayer um, to a lot of those things. Yeah. Well, it's such a cool, such a cool concept. One that I really like, I, I like sometimes like, oh, sweet. I can cut the grass because I can get some, get some thinking and praying done, you yeah. know, <laughs> distraction free. Absolutely. So, so uh, uh, embody prayer and sort of uh, working with with your hands prayer uh, at yes. both on our list. So the next one on my list is um, it is the closest I ever came to any sort of like ritualistic prayer, which was when I was very young. My mother taught me to recite the Lord's Prayer. Um, mm-hmm. you know, which has uh, been a part of the Christian tradition since the since the time of Christ, and you know, it's always been sort of like the fallback, you know, if it, 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 because again, the, you know, Jesus kind of prefaces it like this is how you pray, but it wasn't until kind of later in life where I really kind of looked at the context of the Lord's Prayer to try to understand, like, okay. You know, why is he telling people this? And and I felt and, and I kind of reread it recently and it was really like, man, this feels like it could be written for today when he's when he says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly they have received their their reward in full. And he goes on to say, This is how you pray. And <laughs> I love he tells how Jesus throws prayer. shade. I just love yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Because it's like my Twitter feed right now, like is I all I see half the half the time are, you know. Christians violating that very thing that Jesus said not to do, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, you don't want to appear pious or you don't want people to question your motivations. So don't make these big public declarations of prayer. And, you know, obviously we're in the middle of a pandemic and there's, you know, a lot of controversy surrounding large public gatherings. And you see, 
you know, and a lot of Christians take the posture of defiance to those measures, sort of under the guise of, you know, religious persecution, even though everyone's sort of under the same, uh, you know, social gathering, you know, advisement restrictions, where, you know, Jesus said, don't do that because I don't want people to 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 see my followers as pious or prideful. Instead, when you are alone, pray these things. And 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 obviously, the Lord's Prayer is you know theologians have dissected that for generations, but is is a really powerful prayer that's really centered on repentance and uh, perspective. Where it's hey. Things are broken here. How can we get them to be more like you want, God? Uh, and But that was my first real experience with any sort of ritualistic prayer. When I didn't know what to pray, at least I could have that memorized and, and kind of repeat it. Uh, Sarah, you know, obviously the Lord's Prayer is very central to the Christian understanding of prayer. You know, when you were kind of putting the book together, where did kind of thoughts about the Lord's Prayer and just that sort of uh, ritualistic element to it, where it is often repeated, how did that kind of fall into your ideas about prayer? I think that was one of the first things that actually ended up getting reset for me, to be honest, because like yourself, I had kind of almost grown up in this idea or come of age or somehow adopted this idea that you had to pray made up from your own heart or mind um, for it to really be heartfelt, right? That there was something had to be spontaneous, um, it usually involved a lot of saying Father God and the word just, you know, yeah, which, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I just got just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, we've, we've all been there. And yeah. so, I, I think that for me, almost like, you know, there was this unspoken kind of like ranking of like, well, the really spiritual people, they can just pray spontaneously and it sounds amazing. Yeah. As opposed to, you know, people who maybe times have a harder time with thinking on your feet or praying in front of people or, you know, whatever else, or even just making up your own prayers, because sometimes our language, you know, it's hard to express for ourselves. And so, for me, the the very first time that I remember having that experience, it was um, in the aftermath of just feeling like I was in the wilderness of my faith. I Everything was just like, if I had built a temple for God, it was in you know, rubble around my feet at that point. And I, for some reason, I still to this day don't really know what to credit it to other than, you know, the Holy Spirit, which I still love to talk about. (laughs) So, I'm still charismatic enough that I'm like, bring me all the the Holy Spirit language. Um, Just a sense of like, I was driving by this little stone church in San Antonio where we were living at at the time. And I just, I saw people going into it and I was like, I'll just go sit in there in the back. It was my lunch break. I was uh, at work and I was on my lunch break and was just going to get a coffee. And I was like, well, I'll just, you know, kind of pull in and just meaning to go and sit in the back, which I did. And it was an Ash Wednesday service, which I had never heard of even before mm-hmm. in my life, um, which is the beginning of the season of Lent. And it's kind of this memento more moment of like reckoning with your mortality which doesn't sound super uplifting for most people. And especially if you're coming out of, you know, um, what Barbara Brown Taylor calls like a solar Christian tradition, like I was a part of, that it, all your answers exist in certainty and in the light of day. Yeah. Um, that it, there's that, that narrative of victory and always, you know, being o- onwards and upwards kind of thing. But I mean, my heart was broken. We had been experiencing miscarriages and loss. There was a lot of, you know, things happening kind of in our life at the time that were really difficult. And sitting in the back of that church on Ash Wednesday and realizing all these prayers were printed out and they were written and that they had been prayed for, prayed by Christians for centuries. 
And there was just something about that breaking through time and space and a sense of continuity and ancientness and yet presence. The idea of praying it alongside of these people whose stories I didn't know. Um, And they acknowledged the things that I needed acknowledged, like that we are dust and to dust we return and um, the grief that we have, the need for repentance. Um, So, and the Lord's Prayer was in there as well. And this sense of like, people have been praying this way for ever and I've missed it. And that was kind of an opening of a door for me of just saying, okay, this little disjointed thing in my soul just kind of like popped back into place of saying, you can have both. Right, you can have the darkness and you can have the light. You can have the spontaneous prayers, but these, you know, ancient good words about you know um, waiting the wait, watch over those who who weep at night, like mm. that. Just I put a, put my head between my knees and howled, and yeah. so there's just something beautiful there. I think in in being able to turn to those kinds of words, like the Lord's Prayer. Yeah. It's sort of, so where, where are other sort of, you know, you mentioned that you kind of found some in this, this older church, but where are, if you had to give the the listener some advice on like, where can they find some of these, you know, maybe more ancient type of prayers that, you know, people who've come before us have prayed and, and have seen, you know, positive benefits from, where would you suggest that people kind of find those? And obviously, you know, in scripture, you see it throughout like Psalms and, you know, in particular is, is, is a book of prayer, but are there any other, you know, kind of, um, you know, writings that you would recommend people kind of check out? Sure. Um, you know, there's a really great app called pray as you go Hmm. that does like a, a, you can even set reminders on your phone that'll just kind of give you and, and track you through even the church calendar or track you through, um, you know, with the prayers that you want to pray. Because again, you know, the one that we did, it's it's all brand new, right? And sometimes you want to have a chance to pray words that are, um, that have been around and been spoken for such a long time. Another book I really like is called Common Prayer. Hmm. Um, and they have an app as well, actually. And uh, Jonathan Wilson Hartgrove, a new Okoro and Shane Claiborne wrote that one. And it's another daily one, but it also has communal stuff and special prayers for like when you have a new home or, um, you know, when there's been loss in your life and you're wanting to have these benedictions or moments to kind of notice what's sacred, right? And and what's going on. And uh, Phyllis Tickle has this really dense and and in-depth daily office prayer set um, that she did a number of years ago. And that's more of like the really traditional, um, you know, Episcopal, Anglican, you know, languages and and prayers and, you know, prayers for morning and noon and night and vespers and all that kind of stuff. So, if you're really yeah. wanting to do like a, a like level 10, that would be a good place to start too. <laughs> Very cool. Well, it sounds like, you know, kind of along the same, you know, our list so far are kind of along the same lines. You have like the ancient prayers. I kind of have the, you know, the Lord's prayers, kind of my limitations on ancient prayer, but I certainly kind of see the value in them. And then, the you know, the embodiment prayer kind of working, uh, you know, kind of distracting your hands so that your mind can be focused type of prayers. 
Okay, but for my next one, I don't even know if this really counts, but it's probably my most common prayer, and maybe this is for a lot of people too, and it's what I call the panic prayer because I'm like a very <laughs> anxious, I'm a very anxious person, you know, just that's my, that's just how I'm, my predisposition is, you know, I tend to, uh, what I've learned in, in, in counseling is catastrophizing, you know, mm. where like, you know, my relatable, I, very yeah, relatable. Yeah, yeah, especially in coming in out of 2020. Like, it's easy for your mind to always be in like some state of, uh, you know, uh, concern about something, whether it's in your personal life, whether it's in the, wor- the world, whether it's, you know, just uh, some people you know. And I frequently find myself. You know, I am asking God for help and I am asking God for intervention, but sometimes I almost think I, you know, tend to do it for like therapeutic things, you know, reasons. <laughs> like if I wake, if I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm, my mind's racing and I think about stuff, my first impulse is, God, help me kind of figure this out. Help, you know, now sometimes I feel like that might be a little selfish, that impulse, because I'm just kind of, what are your kind of thoughts, you know, having, having kind of, uh, uh, you know, recently completed this book and, and, and kind of thought about a lot about the human condition as well as prayer about what are your thoughts about that sort of like, for lack of a better term, the panic prayer, because that is arguably probably my most common one. No, I think that that's super common for most people for good reason, right? Like oftentimes that's where our heart turns when we have those kinds of moments. Something that became, that I began to practice a lot that was kind of adjacent to the panic prayer or the like, I'm overwhelmed, I need to like call out, right? I need to call out to someone and some, you know, I need this moment to kind of articulate that um, was when I began to really practice uh, breath prayer in a Mm. lot with a lot more intention and a lot more like, when that panicky kind of like, I need, I need, I need, I need kind of thing would come up, which again, if that's how you want to pray and that's where your heart is at authentically, God meets with you there. Like, yeah. That's, that's a be- can be a really beautiful place for encounter, you know, or even release or, or naming, you know, what, what it is that you're longing for or needing. But I think there was something about, um, centering prayer or breath prayer, especially at the beginning of the pandemic when there was a really anxious time. And again, we knew so little, you know, and the world was just kind of thrown into this like massive lockdown and, you know, all these things were kind of going on and it was just a lot for everyone to kind of take in. It was a time of a lot of anxiousness. Um, And there was this sense of, um, of breath prayer for me where it was like, you would pick like two, two lines, um, you know, maybe something like, um, you know, the Kyrie Allison, like, um, you know, Jesus have mercy on me. Or you would maybe take a couple of lines out of the um, the Lord's Prayer, for instance, if yeah. that means a lot to you. And you would just kind of center yourself for a minute and you would just like breathe in and pray the one line of it and then breathe out and pray the other line of it. And just do that like 10 or, you know, 10 or so times. And I would always find that my heart rate would drop. I would kind of like resettle my attention and my focus, that it would calm my heart in ways that I couldn't really expect. And so, I began to like mine, you know, scripture or, um, you know, things from other people to begin to understand a little bit more about, um, about what I wanted to pray in those moments. So I would pick ones like, um, 
you know, from Romans 8, you know, nothing can separate me from the love of God. And so, you know, breathing and nothing can separate me from the love of God. Mm. And just having a few minutes to just kind of still the panic and calm it, it was really helpful for me in moments of anxiety or panic. I mean, obviously, it's, you know, not to say that any of those things are like a, a that it's a substitute for like <laughs> therapy or medication yeah. or things that you really need to be doing, but being able to take a minute and say, there's no fear in love yeah. or, you know, that God so loved the world or that on, or from um, the Lord's prayer on, may it be on earth as it is in heaven. Mm. And just breathing your way through those was really helpful for me and has been, you know, a kind of a pillar actually probably my, my pandemic spiritual practice. Yeah. It's interesting because I've talked to people who practice like uh, transcendental meditation where, mm-hmm. you know, you know, they, they, a lot of them are a lot of the the people who I've, you know, kind of talked about th- that practice maybe don't have sort of like a prayerful um, kind of phrase in mind, but they will use sort of a mantra mm-hmm. to quiet their mind. But I think what's so cool about, you know, kind of what what you're suggesting is it kind of offers the same sort of benefits. It offers your mind the ability to kind of focus on you know something that isn't that kind of drowns out the noise of whatever your source of anxiety but it's an actual prayer it's not mm-hmm. just you know kind of a phrase that we're refocusing on it is it's an actual prayer i think that that's so cool sarah what what's one of what's what's another one on your list that kind of jumped out as a prayer practice particularly as you're kind of preparing this book yeah, you know, there's a there's a couple that I really, you know, I mean, silence is one. Um, one thing that I really love to do um, is to write benedictions. And that okay. was one that I came to just probably in the last like eight or nine years. I, I started doing it right at the time when I published my first book, Jesus Feminist, because I'd written this book and I'd kind of poured out my heart and everything that was kind of, you know, I, I wanted to share with people. And I just thought, oh, I don't know how to end this. And I just thought mm. I would love to pray for people. And so yeah. I just wrote out this benediction for the book. And the response um, from people was really surprising to me because I think that a lot of people haven't been prayed for for a really long time. Mm. And oftentimes when we are struggling with prayer, it feels really good just to rest in the faith of someone else. Um, and so it became a practice for me with every book I write where I would always, I always end it with a benediction. But even now when I, when I preach or when I'm leading a conference or I'm doing things, I really love to just like take some time and write out like my best hopes and name what I feel is going on in the room and to call out to God and have this be like this communal, you know, kind of benediction to, you know, both um, you know, name where we've been and then send us back out into kind of where we, where we've been. So that's been a big one for me. And I like the practice of writing them um, just because it gives me a chance to think a little bit more. Again, I'm not an off the top of my head person very much, which goes back yeah. to my poor performance on spontaneous prayers. <laughs> and so even being able to, um, to write those things out and be a little bit more thoughtful and take my time, um, yeah. you know, to be able to write benedictions for people who, um, you know, are feeling a lack of hope, for instance. So I'll choose yeah. something and I'll just say, okay, I want to write a benediction for, you know, these people. And then, you know, it doesn't have to be long, right? But just a moment to be able to say, I want to bless the space that's between yeah. us, as John O'Donoh- O'Donohue would say. Um, so that's one. Another one that we practice a lot over at um, the Field Notes community that I lead is we do, we borrowed it from Anne Lamott. She wrote a great book called um, Help Thanks Wow. Mm. 
Like okay. the, the three types of prayer are help and yeah. thanks and wow, really? Yeah. Like at the end yeah. of the day, that's what they all yeah. kind of distill I, down I, into. <laughs> which, by the way, how great is Anne Lamont? You know what oh, I mean? Listen. To be able to distill ideas. Yeah, Shauna was on, uh, Shauna Nequist, who I'm sure you know too, uh, was on the pod a while ago. We had we talked for about Anne Lamont for a while. Such a such a profound, and, and uh, not just a profound thinker, but someone who really thinks outside of conventional sort of boxes, you know? Mm-hmm. But, but okay, so... So you said it was uh, thanks, help, and wow. Were, yeah, were help, how she thanks, broke and it? wow. And so sometimes I'll just literally put it up in our you know community and say, all right, help, thanks, wow. Where are you at? And being able to to pray that for each other. But oftentimes, even I'll do that in my own life, where I'll just sit down with my journal and I'll just write at the top of the page, help, thanks, and wow. What's my help? What's my thanks? And what's my wow? You know, the, the, those moments that I can begin to, uh, you know, write those out or, or talk about them. We do them with our kids. Even like at bedtime or around the supper table, sometimes we'll be like, okay, help. Thanks. Wow. You know, where are we at? And being able to, you know, pray for each other or ask for prayer or name those things. Like it's just, it's been really a, a simple and accessible practice, I think. Yeah. I think, I think mine would be, uh, uh, it would be a lot of helping. But uh, I probably need to do better with the thanks and wow. But I'm glad you brought up uh, thanks because that that actually is next on my list is uh, like gratitude prayers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I know and again, kind of being raised in in the, the church, you, you always knew mainly because. I feel like we probably grew up in, in a reasonably similar era of like the charismatic leaning evangelical church. And there's a, there's some bangers back then. And that would really <laughs> kind of pound in like certain, certain principles, you know, I will enter in his gates with Thanksgiving in my heart. Hey, you know, and they would have like the, the, the tambourines and, and all that jazz, but it really did kind of like, okay, we should, anytime we, we go to, to pray or to engage with, with, uh, engage with God. And, you know, even I feel like on a community level, Mm -hmm. the right posture is to approach it with gratefulness first. Like Mm -hmm. there are the helps, there are the wows, there are, you know, even, you know, some of the more like liturgical, uh, you know, elements, but always kind of starting off just, even if you're not verbalizing that gratitude, I found it just a really good practice to, acknowledge how grateful I am for all the good things that I have in my life that ultimately Mm -hmm. I believe come from God. And, you know, I I find that it just really kind of puts me in the right perspective, even when I don't want to, even if I'm coming to God with a, with a help prayer, or even like one of kind of like the, the angry prayer, like, God, what the heck? Prayers, I feel like that's sometimes one of mine boxes, which probably shouldn't be, but I feel like we get permission to 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 be honest with God. But you know, but if I if I start from a place of gratitude, you know, I, I feel like it uh it really gives me the proper perspective and it kind of reshapes my prayer in a way. Because it's mm-hmm. like I feel like gratitude, particularly when it involves with prayer when it's involved with prayer, it, it kind of um it shows like look. God got you all this stuff. He's not going to let you down this far down the road. Tell me a little bit about, you know, your thoughts on gratitude and especially as it pertains to expressing it through prayer. No, I think your I think your instincts are right on there and I think that there's something really um it reorients us I think to the abundance of God as opposed to the 
you know, mindset of scarcity, always want more and more and more and more. Um, you know, I think it can bring a lot of contentment. It can bring a lot of perspective. Um, but even there, I think that there's the sense of, um, of being able to name that out loud instead of just being like, you know, thanks for all the blessings, you know, yay God. You know, there's this sense of, um, of noticing. And I think oftentimes the, the place where we um, most experience gratitude is in the particulars of our lives. Hmm. It's hard oftentimes to say, you know, I love people. <laughs> you know, like yeah. I often feel like that if I'm watching Shit's Creek, I'm like, I love people. But yeah. there's this sense of, you know, the the particularity of God. And the um, and I think that's what gratitude gets at is that it's not this this mass you know, of, of gratitude that, but these particular things that I'm grateful for the, the way that my daughter's hair curls or the, um, the tree that's in our backyard, the way that the trees, that the, the leaves dance when the wind blows, I'm grateful yeah. for that. I'm grateful for my cup of tea in the morning. I'm grateful for how my husband holds my, uh, left thigh when he is driving still after 22 yeah. years yeah. and all of these different things that no, the noticing and the naming and that sense of gratitude can almost function as an invocation for the presence of God, because then you begin to notice the particular goodness um, of being alive mm. and of the things that have surrounded you and our gifts, really. What, what's so interesting what's, and, and, and what I think is so beautiful about the way that you articulated that is, you know, a lot of, a lot of times I, the way I kind of think about things is through the lens of, you know, pop cultural expressions. and. You know, as you're talking about, it, I was thinking about. Do you know the filmmaker Terrence Malick at all? I do, but not probably at the level that you are hoping. <laughs> well, no, that's okay. So, so he, you know, he he's he's done films. Uh, you know, Tree of Life is kind of one of his more noteworthy ones. But uh, a, a lot of movies that um, the plot moves very slow. And there is a lot of time to look at hands running across the top of wheat out, out mm-hmm. of field at sunset or a bed sheet kind of slowly blowing in the wind as it's on the hanger or the, the way light will kind of uh, break through old glass on a window. Mm-hmm. And there, there's a lot of attention, there, a lot of time in his movies, which are often like three hours, um, are, are spent on those type of shots. And as you were talking, I started thinking about those because, you know, in his films, a lot of the characters are dealing with incredibly heavy things and difficult things. But those little visual reminders are not just reminders of beauty amongst chaos because Terrence Malick is, I, I think you could make the case a very prayerful filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like those are r- reminders of gratitude. Beauty is a reminder of something to be grateful for because, it, 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 and, and I feel like visually when I see that in his films, it's like, Oh, that is that, that reminder that like, you know, not just, Hey, great. I, I have a house and I have a wife and I have kids and I have my health. Those are great things, you know, but like you said, sometimes it's this little things. It's the way, you know, coffee smells when you're putting it into the filter or that sometimes can be the trigger of like, dude, there's a ton to be grateful for that. I ignore every single day. And right. so what are, what are the best ways that you've seen that that can, you know, that recognition can be part of like a prayer practice. Hmm. 
Yeah, I think that that's that's maybe part of it is that um, I think especially right now when our lives have oftentimes gotten very small and very quiet in a lot of ways. Um, and there is a tremendous amount of suffering in the world right now, a lot of injustice. Um, that's where I think the, the gratitude almost has to function hand in hand with a really healthy practice of lament. Um, mm. which is something that I know a lot of people can sometimes be uncomfortable with is yeah. the sacredness of lament, um, which to me makes room for, you know, anger or for the, what the heck God prayers, like you talked about, yeah. um, because it's only if you have admitted that not everything is as it should be, that maybe you have the lens to be able to truly understand gratitude or to truly understand, um, the functions and goodness of love, the small moments of joy, um, the act of resistance that's peacemaking, um, you know, all of those different things. I think they do come hand in hand in a lot of ways. I don't know that you get one without the other. And and that's a good, healthy way to be able to have room for both. Because if your whole life is spent in terms of like, I'm just going to sit here and list out my blessings, yay God, then, you know, in a lot of ways that can function almost as a sedative. And so, being able to have both of those things functioning in our life means that our heart is open, our hands are open, our heads are up, and we're, you know, we're engaged at the same time that we are just unspeakably grateful, you know, for every, every gift and every, every way that the light is breaking through the darkness, every small candle that's lighting up a dark room. Um, I think that those things that you're doing are incredibly beautiful and necessary for that reason. Yeah. Well, gratitude prayer are, is definitely an important one to me. It, Sarah, is there any other prayer practices that you wanted to kind of uh, uh, spotlight or call out? No, you know what? I think we have covered so much ground. My goodness. I just, this is such a rich conversation. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I, I definitely encourage people to check out the book. Uh, it, once again, it's A Rhythm of Prayer, A Collection of Meditations for Renewal. You can follow Sarah at Sarah Bessie. Sarah, before I let you go, I have I have one, I have two quick questions about prayer that I've always, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of going to free play mode here on the pod. We've, we finished out the list. Okay. <laughs> when Paul says, you know, pray without ceasing, right? Okay. You know, that's something that, you know, you kind of hear over and over again in kind of a lot of Christian traditions. And in my mind, it's like, oh, obviously being figurative there, right? I mean, I'm not expected to all the time just be like, you know, because at some point I'll just be like muttering things to God, you know what I mean? Like, what do you think, do you think that is metaphorical or do you think that the way that he's referring to prayer isn't just the practice of articulating words to communicate to God, or do you think Paul is insinuating there that prayer is beyond just, you know, kind of thinking or saying or writing words to God, and it's actually like a practice, like a lifestyle type of practice? What do you think the, inter- what is your interpretation of, of that? Yeah, I think that you really kind of have have covered where a lot of people have struggled, right? Because there's this sense of like, well, listen, I could pray for everybody I know and pray my way through the newspaper and be done in 15 minutes. Yeah, and yeah. so there's this like very daunting God help. sense. This one, this one, yeah, right, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But I think um, probably the best explanation I've I've heard for this, and the one that I've kind of adopted for myself, came from a, a pastor I heard preach a. a, a sermon a number of years ago, where he said, the same part of me that worries is the part of me that prays. And I thought, Mm. oh, I can worry without ceasing. (laughs) I I got no problem with that. Easily (laughs) worry without ceasing. And oftentimes it can be happening on this like low low hum underneath Hmm. 
everything else that I'm doing and everything else that's going on. Um, and so being able to kind of understand that that same part of you can also be oriented towards God, can be in communion with God, uh, not in the weird, you know, preacher way you talked about earlier about like, yes, God, okay, I'll say that kind of thing. Although, <laughs> yeah. you know, if that floats your boat, then great. But, yeah. you know, more in this sense of like a constancy of presence and a constancy of communion and a constancy of awareness um, is, I think, the hope. You know, I don't know that anybody ever practices it with any, I don't know if Paul would say that he did, um, yeah. but I think it's that sort of language or that sort of um, low um, connection that's, that's really running underneath everything, almost like the, the river that's underneath the, the underneath the, um, the earth, right? Yeah. That you just kind of, kind of tap into sometimes with a lot of intention, like, listen, I'm going to dig a well, or I'm going to do my, you know, liturgical prayer or benedictions or help thanks wow, or whatever else I'm going to dig down and we're going to really, you know, access it. But the truth is, is that the river's there all the time. Yeah. Right. And I think that that's yeah. kind of what, what, what that's talking about. I don't know if that fully answers your, your question, no, but that's I, I, how I, I think about it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's really helpful. Okay. The, the only other thought I had about prayer, I, I'm going to have, I'm going to add one more thing, but it's the opposite to my list, like a prayer that we, that everyone should stop. I know that's, uh, <laughs> if we're going to start that game, we are going to be here all night. <laughs> okay. And just one, just one, because this is the one that really like, and I get it, but like the gossip prayer that oh, is like, yeah. you know, like, you know, we, we really should be praying for neighbor Joe. You heard about how he's doing. Listen, this is how bad he needs our prayer. He's been dabbling in this, this, that, you know, and it's like, we don't need that. Like, you know, I, I, I think, uh, <laughs> I, I'm sure kind of growing up in this, in a, in a similar tradition, that's something you saw as well, but there's a right way and a wrong way to publicly <laughs> pray for our friends without kind of blowing up their spot in front of people, you know? Totally. I think we can pretty much, you know, bid a, a hearty goodbye to passive aggressive praying. <laughs> <or two>. <laughs> <laughs> Very pointed, yeah. but I'm Canadian. Yeah. Like our, our, our like mother tongue is being passive aggressive, but I think that there is something <laughs> yeah. to be said. I, I, yeah, there's a lot of there. I'm sure there's a lot of people who listen to this, uh, you know, who who grew up in the church, who came home from college, you know, single, and had like a grandparent at the Thanksgiving table and be like, and please pray for for Johnny that he finds that special someone that isn't single forever. It's like <laughs> I get it, Grandma. Like you don't need to get God totally. on your side. You don't need to make me feel bad in front of the family and God here. You know, totally. yeah, the passive aggressive <laughs> prayer. I get. Yeah, or when you like one. step out of line or do something wrong and you end up on the prayer chain my friend Rachel used to say that she was on prayer <laughs> chains at churches she didn't even go to <laughs> because, yeah because I appreciate the thought thing. but I'm doing just fine thank you yeah good yeah. thanks yeah exactly well Sarah this was so fun Def I definitely encourage people to check out the book it's so incredible and uh and follow you on Twitter at Sarah Bessie Sarah thanks so much for being on Listed thanks I was glad to be here it was a fun conversation yeah absolutely All right, everyone, that is it for this episode of Listed on the Ironclad Content Network. Hey, if you like the show, I know every podcast has to do it, but it really does help. If you like the show, leave a rating and review. I really appreciate it. All right, guys, we'll see you next time.